Luthier Wayne Henderson is also one of today's leading guitarists, with three national tours with Masters of the Steel Guitar, a National Heritage Award, and Carnegie Hall and Prairie Home Companion concerts under his belt, just to name a few highlights. He's also been called the most masterful guitar maker in the country. From his studio in Rugby, Virginia, population 7, according to Wayne, where he grew up in the White Top Mountain area of Grayson County near the North Carolina border, Wayne's built instruments for artists including Eric Clapton and Wayne's friend, the late great Doc Watson. He's also repaired guitars used by Neil Young and Elvis Presley. Along the way, Wayne has met plenty of awesome performers, and he's bringing many of them together for his 19th annual Wayne C. Henderson Music Festival and Guitar Competition this Saturday, June 15th, in the beautiful Grayson Highlands State Park in Mouth of Wilson, Virginia. The festival runs from 10.30 to 7, and it'll feature the Quaby Sisters, Harrison Brothers, Crooked Road Ramblers, Cabin Fever, and, of course, Wayne Henderson and Friends. Also during the festival, 20 outstanding guitar players from around the country will compete for a Henderson handcrafted guitar. This year's headliner will receive one, too. She's superstar Roseanne Cash and her husband, John Leventhal. Wayne Henderson and his good friend, guitarist, bassist, vocalist Herb Key joined us live in Studio A. Herb, let's do this old tune I learned from Doc Watson, one called Nothing To It. Henderson there on guitar and Herb Key on guitar. That was Nothing To It, tuned by Doc Watson. I'm curious to know, from a picker standpoint, what made that man so special? You know, he was a legendary musician. Everybody knows that. And being able to play like he could, being blind, and he was certainly a gentleman. And you start bragging on him playing music and being what he was, he didn't want to hear that, you know. <laughs> I think he considered his music just a good way to make a living. But he was a, certainly a gentleman and a good friend to all of us, and we miss him something awful. But yeah. He was a great character, and 
a wonderful country gentleman. That's how I remember Doc. You know. Yeah, it's great to hear that the first words out of your mouth, basically talking about his humility, and that's something that folks say when they talk about Wayne Henderson. So uh, <laughs> it's some of that must have rubbed off somehow. You know, that tune came from "I Don't Love Nobody." Wayne knows the story about that, how it got his name. Nothing to it. Well, that's a pretty cool thing. You know, Doc, when he first started making those records back in the '60s, would take any kind of an old song like that or a popular tune. And he would turn it into a guitar instrumental. That's something that had never been done before. When Doc recorded that tune, it was actually an old-timey song called I Don't Love Nobody. It was on my favorite Doc record, one of the first ones I ever had. And when he recorded that tune, the recording engineer asked him what the title of it was, you know, to write it down for the record. And... uh, and Doc misunderstood him when he asked him that and thought he was bragging on his playing. And he said, oh, there ain't nothing to it. <laughs> and uh, and so when that record came out, there was the title of that tune, Nothing to It. There ain't nothing to it or something like that. That's great. And, uh, and, then, and Doc always called that tune Nothing to It when he, <laughs> when he would play it, you know. And I think I got that story directly from Doc. Speaking of storytelling, you got a tune for us that comes with a great story, The Preacher and the Bear. Where'd you first hear this one? Well, you know, I actually learned the tune. I had heard it before. That thing has been recorded by dozens of artists back in the 20s and 30s and so on. But actually, I learned the version that I do from Doc. For me, as as an appreciator but not a picker, just to hear this man's name uttered for the first half of our interview just gives listeners an inkling as to what a great influence Doc Watson has been on so many people in the great tradition. Well, Herb, would you think about doing me that old song about the preacher and the bear? That's one I really like. Well, yeah, it, that'd be a good one. And uh, I always enjoy that. It's got a good message to it. Oh, yeah, and it's an old-timey tune. I've, uh, I have this recorded on an old Edison cylinder uh, thing that uh, we listen to every once in a while. So it's got to be an old tune. Those old machines were about around 1900 or something. Yeah. Anyway, this is uh, one of my favorite Herb songs here, one he does about the preacher and the bear. Everybody knows you ain't supposed to be hunting on Sunday. And uh, and so if you listen to Herb's song here, you find out what might happen to you if you get out doing <laughs> yeah. that. Okay, you ready, Herb? I think so. Now, preacher went out a-hunting, was on one Sunday morning. Was against his religion, but he carried his gun along. He shot himself three mighty fine quail, one little measly hare. Then on his way, returning home, he saw a great big grizzly bear. Now the bear marched out in the middle of the road, right up to the preacher you see. The preacher got so excited that he climbed up a cinnamon tree. The bear sat down upon the ground, and the preacher climbed out on the limb. Then he cast his eye to the Lord in the sky and his words he said to him. Oh, Lord, didn't you deliver Daniel from the lion's den? Also deliver Jonah from the belly of the whale and then three Hebrew children from the fiery furnace, so the good book do declare. Oh, Lord, if you can't help me, for goodness sakes, don't help that bear. Preacher was up in that tree, I think it was all night. 
He said, Mr. Bear, if you bother me, I'll give you an awful fight. Just about that time the limb let go and the preacher came tumbling down. You could see him getting his razor out before he hit the ground. Now he hit the ground, cutting right and left, put up a very good fight. Then the bear grabbed the preacher and he squeezed him a little too tight. <clears throat> preacher dropped the razor and the bear held on with vim. Then he cast his eye to the Lord the sky and his words he said to him. Oh, Lord, didn't you deliver Daniel from a lion's den? Also delivered Jonah from the belly of the whale and then three Hebrew children from the fiery furnace, so the good book do declare. Oh, Lord, if you can't help me, please don't help that bear. fought all the way to the river it was a terrible fight that bear just kept on hanging on but the preacher was doing all right he dragged that beast right down to the water was three times in and out then the bear got up and he limped away and the preacher began to shout oh lordy didn't you deliver daniel from a lion's den also delivered jonah from the belly of the whale amen and old Lord, it may not look like much from way up there, but the hardest job I've ever done was baptizing that bear. Thank you, Herb. Good job on that old team. One of my, one of my favorite ones right there. Uh, I hope that helped that bear some, too. Oh, I'm sure he's a better bear now. I just wonder how you keep from cutting up yourself when you say the toughest thing he ever did was to baptize that bear. I mean, <laughs> that's just yeah. a great, it's hilarious. It's a great story, and the music paired with it is so perfect. What do you love most about playing this music, Wayne? You know, I just love to do it, and, and it's been pretty much my life. Mm. My dad was an old-time fiddler, and the first thing I remember when I was just a young kid was seeing my dad and some of the neighbors come in and play old-time music. And it's just been a way of life for me, pretty much. And almost every day of my life, I have something to do with music or, or an instrument. And it seemed like I've never gotten tired of it. When I go in the shop or go somewhere to play music, it just seemed like as much fun as something I'd never done before. And that's kind of the point of the festival, is encouraging that. And how's the tradition coming with young folks today? I know in my lifetime, I'm getting up there. I'm getting to be a professional geezer now. I'm about 66 years old. And in my whole lifetime, I've never seen so many young people are playing music and so good. And every bit of the money we raise from that festival goes into a scholarship fund for young folks to learn how to play this music. The main reason I always sort of wanted that because I remember how much fun I had trying to learn how to play music when I was a kid and I've been at it ever since. You know, still working on it. In addition to being a world-renowned picker, uh, we've got one of the world-renowned luthiers uh, sitting in our studio, and uh, we're talking about working on Neil Young's guitar or working up an instrument for someone by the name of Eric Clapton, just for yep. starters. 
take us back. How well, did it begin uh, for you? I got started making guitars. I always made stuff when I was a kid. We, you know, raised on a farm where it's pretty common. You have to make things you need to have. You yeah. know, my dad and grandpa's all could make farm equipment stuff you need but no none of them ever made instruments but I, when i got to playing music i wanted one so bad you know i mean i had a real cheap old guitar that was hard to play and you know i didn't have anything to work with you know no tools much and i had i knew i had to bend wood and uh you know somehow and, and the only thing i'd seen a piece of wood bend there was a piece of veneer on my mom's dresser drawer bottom I went in there one evening and slipped that thing out of there and laid it out in the creek that ran down behind the house all night. And sure enough, the next morning, that piece of wood had soaked loose and floated down the branch. And uh, I got that veneer out and dried the board off and put it back in there. And Mom never knew anything about her dresser drawer bottom, you know. <laughs> Until now. It, no, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't, have, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have mattered, you know, too much anyway. But I didn't know that. And uh, I got that wood and the only glue i could find is some my dad had stuck uh weather stripping on his truck door which was just black sticky stuff you know <laughs> and i worked my whole school vacation when i was about 12 or 13 years old or something and uh to work on that guitar and i was so proud of it i had it laid out in a back building out there where uh nobody'd see it and you know instrument makers were unheard of then you know and I was afraid my dad and all of them would think I'd lost my mind, you know, trying to make a guitar. And and anyway, that thing, went, you know, even up in the mountains up there, when it gets August time, you know, we got some heat and humidity, and it set in on that veneer that still had spring left in it and that old rubber glue. Yeah, then I went out there to check on my guitar to work on it sometime, and it blossomed like a morning glory. It just totally came apart. <laughs> And uh, I didn't know what to do, and my dad could tell there was something wrong with me, you know, everything. And he, I finally told him I'd tried to make a guitar, and it'd come apart. Mm -hmm. I almost had it done. And uh, so he said, well, you know, the next day it's raining, but we can't work on the farm. I'll take you to see Albert Hash, because he's, my dad was an old-time fiddler, and Albert had worked on his fiddle at some time or another. And he knew that he would know what kind of glue to use and stuff like that. Anyway, that uh, went over and saw Albert, and he showed me a fiddle that he had made in 1953, and I could not believe my eyes, you know, that somebody's hands could make uh, that beautiful an instrument. And, you know, he was carved and made out of beautiful curly maple wood, and, and that gave me the inspiration because I knew Albert didn't have all that many tools either. So I worked another year on uh, getting that guitar, and sure enough, it did stay. It's still together, and that is in 19, early 1960s. And uh, I still have that guitar. And that's uh, the first one that I stamped a serial number in. I do tune and test every piece of wood I put in an instrument. Every piece of that guitar, before you even carve it or make it, will talk to you. You pick it up and tap on it and see how it rings, what tone it has, what pitch. Each component has important ring qualities to them. It might be something I don't know that anybody can explain. You test every piece of your instrument you're putting together. And I think occasionally one will go together that's just exceptional. And the uh, reason old instruments, you know, tend to sound good, one that's in good shape, you know, that's been together for years and... I've heard all kinds of stories about the molecules in the wood, you know, how they, 
the vibration that runs back and forth through the grain of wood. And the more it does that, they say it lines those molecules up so they operate easier. You know, a nice old guitar or violin or something that's been around for years and gets played and vibrated, I think that's the reason it sounds better than a brand new one. A lot of great players come into this festival. I'm sure they're no strangers to your instruments. And some of them may be new to our listeners. Now, one name that's not is Roseanne Cash. I think we were real lucky to be able to get her to come. Roseanne's going to be playing over at Galax at the Music Center the Friday evening before, and I am too. They call it a kickoff to my festival. She's uh, going to be over there, and I said, well, offer her a guitar and see if she will come. And, of course, she sent back and said, of course she would. She would like do that and i think it's her husband john might have been more interested in the guitar you know he plays yeah he, he's a wonderful player and just a i mean one of the good players you'll ever hear you know yeah. and uh so i'm excited for them to have a guitar and also even more excited for him to come play the festival that's a, you know they're big people to play at a small festival you know and uh, that's a always the best place to see somebody like that you know without you won't be you know, 200 yards away from the stage with binoculars trying to see them, you know, you can be up close. Mm-hmm. 